Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Dave LaGreca and ECW legend Tommy Dreamer break down the legacy of the territories and delve into International Wrestling Association. Welcome to Busted Open's Legacy of the Territories. Myself and the walking pro wrestling encyclopedia, the landlord of the house of hardcore and the heart and soul of pro wrestling, Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy, on Legacy of the Territories today, this is going to be an interesting one. Because I think it's a territory that a lot of people don't talk about. And when you talk about the top territories, you probably don't list this certain one. But if you look at popularity, there's no doubt this is one of the biggest ones of all time. And that's the IWA, the Montreal territory, Tommy. Well, we all know about the Montreal screw job, but we a lot of us don't know about the history of Montreal wrestling. It's an island upon itself. And when I say an island, no, it's part of a country, but it's um we don't have a lot of information. My information came from not so much even pro wrestling uh illustrated the after magazines, a lot from George Napolitano's magazines. Yes. And again, how history always repeats itself. Montreal was kind of this like unchartered territory in the sense of they had AWA, NWA, uh, and WWF. It was kind of this um, and stampede wrestling. It was kind of the um, forbidden door, if I can steal from Tony Khan, and gave you these main events that like you would not see elsewhere. It was like all the politics of all the different companies kind of went away for a bit just for the benefit of the Montreal fans. And I mean, uh, of course, the legend Andre the Giant, you know, this was his first territory. He comes when he, you know, after he's, you know, cutting his teeth in uh, Europe. And then, you know, there's also a, a big guy that, uh, you know, the Don Leo Jonathans, that was the big feud there. But Giants, and I, this is when, you know, you'll see these young pictures of Andre moving and drop kicking. This is where this all started from. You can look and find this on YouTube. And I hope our guests coming up have more information how we can find this stuff. Cause I know you and I, when we uh, were told we were going to talk about this territory, we kind of did. And we found some interesting matches, interesting startups, you know, like, you know, King Tonga, who later became Haku, Rick Martel. I mean, there's a lot of wrestlers. At the end of the territory became national figures to the world, but they were national figures to wrestling fans, you know, just because of you would see them because a lot of them would work other places, Japan, AWA, because of that was really the mix. You know, and, you know, our guests uh, for this episode are going to be Pat LaProd and Bertrand Hebert. And when you hear those names, 
they're probably not familiar names to a lot of people who are listening to this because they're authors. They're not actual pro wrestlers. And I think, and they have a, a great amount of books that are absolutely must reads for any wrestling fan. But what they did, Tommy, is they were fans like us where like they didn't feel like that this was being remembered for whatever reason. And they looked at the golden era of that territory and they're like, you know, we need to do something about this. And they did a deep dive as fans and, and found out information that they had no idea events that were huge sellout events that nobody ever spoke about or talked about because over the, over the, uh, just over time, Tommy, it's been forgotten about because with the victors becomes the rewriting of history. And unfortunately over time, the Montreal territory isn't one that's talked about very often. Why? Maybe because it's not part of the hot territories that a lot of wrestlers talk about. But, man, it should be, and I'm glad we're having the opportunity to talk about it today. Me too. And, and you know, b- people like Pat Patterson c- cut their uh, teeth there. And, you know, Pat goes on to, you know, worldwide fame. But I remember reading his book, which uh, Bertrand wrote with Pat, and it talks about Pat being a young kid and being like, from the circus and then i got to go out excuse me i have to go out and i don't want to live my life here in the sense of i need to become something better for myself and then just the things that he went through for being uh a gay wrestler back then i mean i remember reading his book and saying that he was on like the fbi's list for trying to get uh deported because he was a homosexual male i mean think of that now, what poor Pat had to go through and hiding his identity. It was hid from the fans, but it wasn't hid from the boys because the wrestlers, read it. they didn't care. Yeah. And, and just again, Montreal, uh, awesome, awesome atmosphere, always for professional wrestling. But again, like I said, everyone knows about the Montreal screw job, but man, not a lot of people know about this amazing territory. And I'm looking forward to the deep dive that we've been uh, on our own little path to find out more information for it. Yeah. And it's, and you, you mentioned it like, you know, some of the big magazines at the time, Tommy, that we would read religiously every month, like a pro wrestling illustrator or the wrestler inside wrestling, you know, sports review wrestling. They didn't really talk at all about the IWA. George Napolitano uh, was one of the very few people that went out and took pictures and wrote about this territory outside outside of main event magazine. Tommy, I can't think of any other magazines that wrote about the IWA. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't either. We're, we're probably going to have to do a whole, uh, to keep, uh, our Canadian audiences happy. We're going to have to do a stampede and we'll probably have to do a Toronto because Toronto was our whole, a whole other, uh, area as well, but we're going to break down, uh, Montreal, uh, with, uh, you and me and our guests, and we're going to look forward to it. Do you think in, in Montreal, there's a big legacy of pro wrestling in Montreal, right? I mean, Whenever you talk about uh, wrestling in Montreal, wrestling in Canada in general, Tommy, it's looked upon like, I guess, like people here in the States talk about Major League Baseball, like it is the the American pastime. Do you feel like a lot of that lineage when it comes to wrestling and how much it's looked upon in Canada started with uh, the Montreal Territory? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to honestly like... I don't know dates Mm -hmm. and, but again, they still, even to this day, they are their own Island upon themselves. And uh, I mean, there's also, there's 
the country itself, there's English, but there's also, um, you know, French speaking. And you think of like some of the great Montreal wrestlers that we watch each and every week, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, um, their influence into the industry. I mean, they're, they've been influencing this business for a long, long time, uh, just like their predecessors, men and women who paved the way for them to be there. And I think one of the big reasons, uh, Tommy, it's not talked about as much as it should. Tommy is, if you think about the golden era of the IWA in the Montreal Territory, the golden era was probably more in the 70s than it was in the 80s. You know, most of the territories that we talk about here on Legacy of the Territories, we talk about it that their heyday was in the 80s, which also coincided with the boom of cable television. Not the case when it came from Montreal, because I really do think that their hot spot was more in the 70s. I think their hot spot's going to be what happened when Vince stepped in. Yeah, You're going to get mad again, I think, David. Yeah, I think I will. Though, though the Montreal Territory did do shows with both, you know, with the WWF, which not many territories can say that they did. So there's a lot to get into. And we're going to do it with, and it's very unique, on Legacy of the Territories. Usually we're talking to somebody who was booking the territory or somebody who wrestled in the territory. But actually, we're going to be talking to two historians and two authors. And that's Pat LaProd and Bertrand A. Bear. And they'll join us when Tommy and I are back with Montreal Legacy of the Territories. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories International Wrestling Association with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Back here on Legacy of the Territories talking IWA, the Montreal Territory. And we have two amazing guests to break it down. Pat LaProd and Bertrand Hebert. When we were doing this uh territory story i felt montreal was one of the a key pieces it was one of these areas that i only got v- through vcr and it was this kind of like dream matches because i didn't know if it was associated with the awa if it was associated with the wwf if it was associated with the nwa because it seemed to be this perfect land where all the different stars from every territory would come and work and that's why i wanted to have our two guests here, I can't recommend their books enough. I loved the Andre the Giant book. I loved the Mad Dog Vasham book. So I talking to Dave, I was like, man, we got to talk about Montreal. It's a it's such an important piece of history in professional wrestling, as well as these are the two guys who will who'll talk uh, us up all about everything Montreal. So guys, again, uh, nice seeing you as always. Love uh, talking to you. But 
tell us the importance of Montreal uh, and Montreal wrestling to the world. I mean, that that's the key. Montreal was actually its own reality bubble where, you know, they actually ended up working through the years with every major promotion and having a major world championship match in Montreal. In the 80s, we had world title matches with Bob Backlund, Nick Bockwinkel, and Ric Flair in in the span of a, maybe four or five years. Um, so that that was the beauty of it. They were never NWA member. They were their own entity. And it it basically worked through the, the contact that Brito and Bravo had with different key talents and different promoters. And, and it kind of uh, switched around depending on, on what was going on, even leading to actually them working with Vince McMahon uh, when the expansion started. And uh, they're probably the only promotion that I know of that actually had genuine joint shows, WWF and International Wrestling, together at the forum, um, which you know Vince never did with anyone else. So the, that's that's the beauty, and, and and it can go back to the War of Grand Prix and All Star and Eddie Quinn. So it was always that that special place where it, it was different from everywhere else. Now, Eddie, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say Eddie Quinn was a member of the NWA for for a, a short period of time, um, but he had a fallout with the uh, with the Alliance at one point. Uh, but you know, from the mid sixties on with all-star wrestling with the Rougeau family and Grand Prix wrestling with the Vashon brothers and Edouard Carpentier. Um, they were never a member of, of, of any other big uh, organization or, you know, never affiliated to, uh, to any of the big, uh, the big ones. So it, it kept going, you know, till the, uh, uh, the late 1980s until international wrestling actually, uh, actually uh, closed. You know, it went on for a long time, and it, it's it's interesting to me. And and Tommy and I started it off the show by saying we really didn't know a lot about this territory. Why do you think that is? Because if you look at the stars, you look at the stories. Don't you think more people would know about this territory than they do? Well, yeah, and and that's why we did a book in 2013 about the whole history of Montreal territory called Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs because um, because we realized that perhaps because of the uh, um, language bar here between you know French and English that most historians, most journalists didn't really cover Montreal as much as well or didn't really understand you know the 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 the, the french newspapers so couldn't really do a, a thorough uh, research uh, about the history of the territory so that's you know that's why uh, Bertrand and I uh, teamed up uh, for the first time at the time and, and did that book because we wanted to make sure that um that th th this territory was getting recognized for uh, for what it was and it was such a great territory for so many years that you know we thought we thought the territory deserved it um in your book with uh mad dog Vashon book i'm i'm reading it and i'm thinking about history and how history always repeats itself especially in professional wrestling what we saw in the monday night wars the behind the scenes the 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 positioning talent jumping back and forth this was a big deal in Montreal between the two rival companies. And it's like, if you study the history, it's like, wow, all this stuff happened already in Montreal. And uh, if you could just kind of elaborate on, on the two rival promotions that were going on at the time. Bertrand. 
yeah, so you had All Star Wrestling with the Rougeau family, which was the established promotion. Um, and, and Yvon Robert uh, Senior, I mean, wanted to 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 start his own promotion. Uh, there was a falling out with uh, Johnny Rougeau. From there, um, they, you know, the biggest French Canadian star uh, in the U.S. was Mad Dog Vachon and his brother Paul. They were the AWA Tag Team Champions, so it made sense. Um, and, and we ended up with Grand Prix Wrestling versus All Star Wrestling. Uh, leading to the ma- match of the century, Andre the Giant coming to North America against Domingo Jonathan, uh, and then filling out arenas everywhere, uh, drawing close to 2 million uh, spectators every week on television, and, and you know, stealing talent, signing talent, uh, you know, backdoor meeting, uh, com- athletic commission trying to uh, stop one from running a show there, and uh, that, that type of stuff, uh, which we would see again uh, at a different level with the Monday Night War. And, and at the same time, uh, by the end of the war, uh, and, and Pat can maybe elaborate on this, I mean, you know, the the the, the territory had a big fallout uh, because, you know, when, when it reached that kind of a peak from there, I mean, there's only one way to go and it's down. And, and, and it did the, the, that, that job because after so much in so short of a time, uh, the territory uh, had took, uh, uh, I would say, uh, almost 10 years to get back to where it was before. So that's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's always a lesson for us from history to, to learn. And, 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 you know, it's, uh, the, and it's a fascinating story as well, because uh, if you take Grand Prix, for example, there was an inside war in Grand Prix between Carpenter and uh, Robert Jr. As Robert Sr. actually passed away very early on in, in the, the promotion history. Uh, and the Vachon. So it, it was like they were like, who's going to draw most? You know, they were running two house shows and who's going to run the most? And, you know, there's stories of uh, Mad Dogs waking up at night to eight about Carpentier and 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 they, they you know who's going to be the most popular who's going to be the top star and who's going to undercut or be the the, the main event at the big uh, Jari Park show and and all of that that comes into play there was a lot of uh, owners and people with a stake in the promotion and and that ended up being the downfall of Grand Prix so it's a fascinating story and and I mean until we actually started to dig I mean there was not much available I mean the fallout between Yvon Robert and uh, Johnny Rougeau, I mean, that's something that we discovered almost by, by chance or by luck. And, and there was always that big point. Why did Robert left Johnny, and which with whom he was working as a special guest referee and he was doing uh, things with his promotion and suddenly starts in a position? Uh, so that's uh, the, 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 the most beautiful part is to find those gems that that key missing pieces uh, on the history of a territory and since everything happened in French most of the key play- players were in all French Canadians I mean a lot of it was never discussed or uh, talked about in interviews uh, when a Joe LaDuc or uh, Mad Dog Vachon were interviewed in the US not a lot of time was spent on uh, how, what they did in Montreal but uh, it was a huge territory doing huge business and uh, it was uh, the best of time as they say and not only okay I'm sorry, Tommy. I was just going to say, not not only Montreal, but Quebec City as well, because you got to know this. 
Uh, yeah. Paul Vachon was the promoter for Grand Prix Wrestling. And in Montreal, the Athletic Commission didn't allow the promoter to actually wrestle at the Montreal Forum. So Paul Vachon couldn't team with his brother Mad Dog at the Montreal Forum. So every time they had to wrestle together, it was, you know, elsewhere. And Quebec City had the second biggest arena at the time. So there was a big rivalry, a big feud between the Vachon brothers and the Leduc brothers, who were not real brothers, but were sold as real brothers. And probably the biggest feud in Quebec wrestling history, aside from Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. So so, so the Leduc and the, and the Vachons, had the uh, record at the um, Coliseum in Quebec City with more than 17,000 people. And and Andre teaming with uh, Yvon Jr. and uh, Edouard Carpentier against the Vachon brothers and Don Leo Jonathan uh, was doing big business as well. You know, 14,000, 15,000 um, attendance in Quebec City. So we always talk about Montreal, but Grumpy Wrestling was actually much bigger in Quebec City. And 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 what Burton was saying about the feud, um, the, the, the inside feud in Grumpy Wrestling, that was about it too. You know, Carpentier uh, and um, Carpentier uh, was more, was doing better business at the Montreal Forum with Andre, with, with Jonathan doing the match, you know, match of the century and all that, drawing 20,000 people uh, at the Forum, but the Vachons were doing well everywhere else you know they had you know record setting in in sherbrooke and quebec city and hall and gatineau everywhere else uh so um so it was really grumpy wrestling was there for a very short period of time but really was the number one promotion probably from mid 1971 till uh late 1973 and, and you know how the attitude era and all you know that war between that monday night war uh, gave us, you know, probably the best TV ratings we'll ever had for pro wrestling. Well, it was the same as far as attendance in Quebec, uh, because the two biggest wrestling attendance ever in, in the province of Quebec for wrestling uh, happened during those years. In 1972, All-Star Wrestling ran uh, Jarry Park Stadium, where you know, the Montreal Expos used to play, uh, with a little a little bit more than 26,000 people, with Johnny wow. Rougeau against Abdullah the Butcher, and Jacques Rougeau against the Sheik, and a very young Ray Rougeau who was just starting as a teenager, uh, so the three Rougeau were built, you know, on top. And the year after, well, Grand Prix didn't want to uh, wanted to 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 do something like All Star did, so they uh, ran the same venue with Mad Dog Vachon against Keller Kowalski and drew more than twenty nine thousand people. So, so those are still to this day the two biggest wrestling crowd ever in 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 Quebec. So those years were so. I mean, there's there's three. Uh, golden eras of wrestling in Quebec, but this one has to be uh, on top just because of of the business they did. And right, Dave, so when uh, reading the book uh, that they've talked about, it would be like you know fighting for fighting for TV uh, stations as well as arenas. And the the one company, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they had a lock on the Montreal Forum, and Mad Dog is on a flight with one of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, either the owner. With the whole team. Yeah, and he had the same last name as their goalie, correct? Yes. And he works it, so they're able to get into 
now the Montreal Forum. And like, you know, that's our version of Madison Square Garden up there. And now this rival promotion is able to strive in this building that previously they were locked out of. And just all these behind the scenes stuff is fascinating to me, but also the fact that how like the wrestlers could work their way into it and then you know, do great business. And and again, fascinating stuff. I mean, we think about when we're talking about stadiums and we're talking about arenas that WWE still goes to the Montreal Forum. I mean, it's still a, a mainstay in the business. Do you guys know like the actual schedule that the wrestlers used to travel uh, during a week? It, it was better. It, it was a busier uh, schedule during the, the summer and the right. winter because in Canada, most arenas are occupied by hockey. Uh, during the winter season but in the summertime uh, they were actually sometimes you know doing eight shows a week you know they would travel they would they would go to all these you know small towns everywhere in Quebec and uh, sometimes they would wrestle twice on Sundays so so they would wrestle you know often and Montreal was always during the 80s especially Montreal was every Monday at the Pulsover Arena with one big show per month at the Montreal Forum. Uh, during the 70s, there were different, like, Grand Prix was uh, running in Verdun uh, every Tuesday, and Grand Prix and, and All-Star was running the Pulsover Arena every Monday, and, you know, they would split the Montreal Forum. Uh, but uh, but during the Eddie Quinn era, they would run the Montreal Forum every single week. Wow. That, that was on Wednesdays, that was on TV, and that was something. I mean, I mean, the the forties and the fifties, especially after TV uh, arrived here in 1953, uh, they were doing big business because they were not filling out the forum every single week. Of course not, but they were, you know, doing big crowds uh, in the biggest arena every single time. So, uh, I mean, Ivan Robert is is known as the best wrestler the province ever seen. Uh, and he was, uh, I mean, he was the most popular for sure. You know, uh, the name of the book again is Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screw Jobs. Available now. Um, you can get uh, copies uh, right now at Amazon.com. And our guests, uh, both Pat and Bertrand, are behind this amazing book that Tommy's been praising up and down ever since it came out. About, I guess it's, I guess it's about seven or eight years ago now uh, that the book. The book came out. And, I praise and, all their books. They're two yes. guys who have all, yes. they, they've done such great research. And when I've heard so many different stories and then I was like, wait a minute. And then I heard this version. I'm like, that's the version that I know is truth. They for their Andre book, for their Mad Dog book. It's just they really guys really have gone out of your way to get the facts as well as interviews. And I know it's also hard. Uh, so continue, Dave. I'm sorry. No, 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 because I, I think anybody that's listening to us right now and and they're hearing the stories and hopefully they'll they'll buy the book. So and it's just for for both of you, like, how can our listeners find this? Like, how difficult is it to find footage? Because like you were talking about the golden era, especially with Grand Prix is dating back to to 71, 72, you know, early 73. Is there footage available for fans to see? There is uh, actually. Uh, we we came up uh, through our research for the books with uh, the best of footage, so that we put out four DVDs, uh, which footage is uh, available through iSpots and our RF video, so people can find those there. Uh, the best of the best from uh, the the and 
and then end up uh, even finding footage from All Star Wrestling that we all thought had disappeared forever. As Ray Rujo found a big hockey bags full of uh, tapes in his garage at some point that his uncle had given him, and we were able to get footage from there as well, including his first match. So uh, it's uh, it's a, it's amazing. It's an amazing find, uh, and and we even uh, licensed footage from uh, the Radio Canada, which is the biggest uh, Canadian uh, broadcast station uh, at the time, and they had some footage left from the Quinn era, so we we'll got licensed footage from that as well. So that can be found at iSpots and at RF Video. There's four volumes. So that's the easiest and most uh, efficient way to to find it. Now, um, my good friend Dave, he's a massive fan, <laughs> just like I am, just like you guys are. Now the territory goes away. And Dave, when uh, Ricky Steamboat showed up in WWF, he was crushed. He actually wrote him a letter and was like, do you understand the disservice you're doing to the NWA? For you guys, all these heroes that you watched, Rick Martel, Dino Bravo, the Rujo brothers, now they come to WWE. I mean, I don't think people realize what a big star Dino Bravo was, babyface-wise, good-looking, Italian, strong dude. And then he comes and he has a totally different gimmick. How is that for you guys trying to, like, watch these guys that, you know, you grew up watching and now it's totally different? I mean, people need to understand that Johnny Rujo was like legendary in the province of Quebec. The name Rujo, I mean, I mean, I would venture to say, even if I'm going to get eat, that the Rujo name in Quebec is bigger than the art name in Alberta. Uh, it's the, if there's a royal family, it is the Rujo name. So when they turned heel, I mean, I remember I was crushed. I mean, it's like, how, how can they do that to their uncle and their father? Uh, so that, that was a big deal that, that, that those guys that were the hero and the top guy in our territory moved on. And, and it, it was literally like one week we had Carpentier and Guillory in French doing French television for Verusac and international wrestling with all those guys. And following week, it's WWF as if nothing has ever happened. The name of the show was the same. <laughs> And, you know, a few weeks and a few months later, everybody went and moved on to, to work for WWF. So it was a huge shock at the time. Uh, and, and those guys were heroes here. And they all, except for Martel, ended up, and even him, ended up being a heel at some point. Uh, so that was, that was a, you know, a, a little, you know, a wake up call a little bit and hard to accept. But it's part of the business and it's part of the fascinating history of the territory. I mean, if you look at the WrestleMania three card, I mean, the list and we make the list, the list is too long to go through of everybody that went through Montreal in the previous five years as a major star uh, from up and comer Tom Zang to Andre the Giant. So it's like amazing uh, what we had the privilege of seeing in Montreal. Your you very are... own Black Saturday, David, and other men experience it just <laughs> like you. No, and and I think a lot of younger fans that may be listening to the show, and hopefully we are getting a younger audience that may not know about the territories, but are learning. I think everybody like our age experienced exactly that moment when you put on your TV to watch whether it was you know Georgia Championship Wrestling or like you're saying you know in Montreal like you know, that moment where WWF took over and, you know, we hear about the invasion, we hear about them pushing to go national, but it really was a culture shock 
when you were watching wrestling and were so emotionally invested in what you were watching and then suddenly the evil empire came in and, and kind of took over. And that's what it felt in the mid-80s, at least to me. And, they, and they, who did you, our you, characters? Yeah. And, and you need to understand something is that Montreal was actually uh, the only promotion that, like Bertrand said, that did joint shows with WWF. They did six shows. And, and on the very first one, the, the match that really drew the sellout of the Montreal Forum was the Garvin brothers, Ronnie and, and Jimmy against the Rougeau brothers. That, that was like one of the most heated feud that Montreal ever had, even if it was just for one summer. And um, and the other the other main event, if you want, it was uh, Nikolai Volkov and Iron Sheik against, I believe it was Bravo and Tonga. Exactly. Third, yeah, it was yeah. Bravo and Tonga. And after the show, Vince McMahon goes to Gino Brito, and he goes something along the line that you know they didn't need he didn't need those local guys to do the sellout. He didn't need the Garvins and the Rougeos to do the sellout. And Gino really got pissed off at Vince, and he said something like "the fuck you know," and and <laughs> and and basically from that point on, he made sure that he was going to be on the war with Vince McMahon. So they didn't join shows for like five or six uh, six months actually. At one point, because you were talking about Dino Bravo, Tommy, at, just to understand how popular Dino was in Montreal, there was a match that was supposed to happen between Bravo and Hulk Hogan in January of 1986. And Vince decided not to do it because he thought that Bravo would uh, be a, a more over babyface than Hogan would in Montreal, that it would in be more 86. over as a babyface. Wow. So they decided to, uh, I think Hogan wrestled somebody else and Bravo wrestled somebody else too. And, and that really pissed off Bravo. So Bravo was supposed to switch to WWF and he only did it in the fall of 86 because because of that uh, uh, of that thing. So, But in February of 86, uh, he got the Rougeos, he got the Montreal Forum, and you know, from that point on, international wrestling was just—it uh, was just a matter of time before they uh, they would close. You know, by by the end of '86, Tonga, Martel, Bravo, French Martin, uh, everybody was uh, at jump ship, and uh, they closed down in June of '87. So it, it went real fast after that. Right, wow. and Tonga is Haku for people who are of listening. Course. Of course, of course, yeah. All right, so as anybody that's a wrestling fan knows, and we talk about it on Busted Open all the time, you know, pro wrestling is made of moments and memories. So I'll start with you, Bertrand. What's what's that moment? What's that memory for you that had you fall in love with pro wrestling? Well, that that one moment is uh, it's an interview by Mad Dog Lefebvre. That's the first thing I ever saw on, on wrestling. Mad Dog Lefebvre was uh, Ray Russo's best friend. And they, of course, were in a heated rivalry. And, and for some reason, his style of interview, he just caught my eye. And, you know, I, you know, me and my brother were on my father's case on Sunday all day so that we could go to the Pulsover Arena the following day. And, uh, you know, that was December of uh, 81. And I've been a fan ever since. Uh, so that that's that one moment that I remember very clearly. Uh, and, and I just haven't stopped. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And Pat, for you, um, I I don't remember the show, but I remember my mom calling my dad at the office on a Monday morning, and my dad told her, you know, tell Pat that I'm going to bring him to wrestling tonight, 
and it was at Paul Stove Arena. I was six years old, and that was my first time there. I don't remember anything from the show, but I remember watching it from that point on on TV every Sunday morning that I wasn't playing hockey. And, you know, we went to a, a bunch of shows after that. And, you know, that, that was... Uh, that was 29 years ago, and <laughs> I'm still going to shows and still watching on TV, you know, so just fell in love with it. So, Bertrand, is there one story that, you know, and, and a lot of the stories that you share in your book, probably the mainstream fans don't know about. A lot of our listeners don't know about. Is there one that comes to mind for you that you would love to share? I mean, we, we had that one rivalry that was very special to me. We had a babyface against babyface feud for a very short period of time between Dino Bravo and Rick Martel. They had big matches at the Coliseum Quebec City and the Montreal Forum. And they actually aired the first match on television. And they did it like in like three or four parts every week. Uh, and it's like, I remember, I mean, having to negotiate with my cousin. So because I was going to stay there that weekend and I was going to miss the, the final part of the match if I didn't negotiate to watch wrestling while I was staying with them uh, and, and it was amazing to me because Martel was my guy Bravo was the babyface champion and, and you know they had Vern Gagne in Rick Martel's corner and, and Yvonne Robert for Forbino and they had Carponti as the referee and, and it, to me it was a very big uh, you know for my imagination of having those two mega stars that we had and, and the story ends when Martel actually becomes the AWA world champion and comes back home and, and they, they they have that big reconciliation and they ended up teaming together and kind of a mega powers for the Quebec province. And then the Road Warriors comes in to fight with them. Uh, so to me, I mean, that short time period of the feud, then being a team and then, you know, fighting off the Road Warriors uh, coming in, that was just amazing. We have footage of that on our DVDs. Uh, and, and through the research of the book, I just remember the story, but the Martel uh, Bravo match, the first match from Quebec City, we actually found the footage uh, and, and it's on the first DVD. To me, that's like, that's what I love about wrestling. And, and that's so I always go back to that match for, for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it was Martel and Bravo. It was the two biggest name and it was just fun. Uh, we learned since then so much more uh, that, you know, the, the few didn't draw as Gino was expecting it to draw. They, they were expecting Rick to be more of a, the full baby face in Quebec City. But Dino Bravo was already so over as the lead character and the lead the international wrestling champion that that the the, the reaction was not what they were expecting uh did, when they did the rematches uh it didn't work as good as far as they were expecting it to do but they had like pat o'connor coming in as a referee for one of those matches and, and it's like uh it's a fascinating uh, story of them trying to really do something out of the box, having the two big baby face fighting uh, on top and, and not turning any of them heel. And, and ultimately having them as a team was just, uh, we have one picture of them with both championship in the ring at the Montreal forum in the book. That's one of my favorite picture of all time. So, for me, that that's what made me fall in love with wrestling uh, all over uh, and forever. Awesome. Pat, how about you? A story to share. Do we still have time left? <laughs> when Bertrand talks about Rick Martel, I mean, that's, yeah, that's always passion, buddy. 
That's oh, it, yeah, but that's yeah. what that's why we love wrestling as much as we do. <laughs> and there's no better. I was blessed. Pat Rick Martel, I wrestled him four times in my and he was I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm wrestling Rick Martel. And he was such a gentleman and took a young Tommy Dreamer and taught him. And I don't even think he'd even remember me as the wrestler, but I I traveled with him a couple of times when I worked shows up there. But what a great, amazing wrestler. But also I remember what he did for a kid that he didn't have to do on just simple independent show. So uh I'm I'm a big Rick Martel fan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when we work on the on the book, my Dutch musician, magician, screw jobs, I, I asked Bertrand to write the the Martel bio, and I told him I needed like three or four thousand words, and he gave me thirteen thousand words. He was that close of writing a full book on Rick, so that's how, <laughs> that's how big of a fan he is from Rick, and 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 that's the thing, you know, Rick became a friend to Bertrand with years, and and I became closer to Gino Brito. G Gino Brito is like a grandfather figure to me. And, and that's all started because of the work we did for the book. And I always love to talk to Gino about his days in international wrestling, you know, as a promoter. And I remember one time talking to him about, you know, booking in the early 1980, once he took the promotion uh, from his father who passed away in February of 1980. And one of the, I mean, the very first big feud that sold out the Pulsover Arena was Andre against Ogan. But Ogan was the heel and Andre was the babyface because it was uh, kind of a spinoff from uh, the match they had at the uh, Shea Stadium in, in August of 1980. And you know what they did? And that, that, that's, that's what I like the most about th that story is that they sent Ogan here and he started... Um, beating, but really beating up fast, uh, either Quebecers or French people. So listen to this. He actually defeated Edouard Carpentier, the great legend, in less than a minute in Montreal. Wow. So that's how they kind of build Ogan as a heel. They, he went against Carpentier, went against Carpentier's nephew, uh, Jackie, uh, Jackie Vietz. Uh, he faced Gino Brito. And, you know, the, the story was, you know, he was beating those, you know, French-speaking people really, really fast. And then here comes the giant. And, you know, the, the, the booking was simple, you'd say, but at the same time, it really, really worked. And that's the first time that they sold out the Pulse of Arena with uh, over seven or 8,000 people there. It was a small arena. They weren't using the forum at the time because there was just you know, starting the promotion back in 1980. So that's really, and Andre was part owner of the territory with Gino Brito and Frank Valois. So that's why they had access to um, WWF stars like Ogan at the time. And, you know, that, that was the very first big angle they did. And I just love, you know, talking to Gino about that whole stuff and, you know, how he, he, the top process and all that. And, you know, I just thought that it was kind of a, uh, unusual to see you know because i always wonder why they they they, they did ogan and carpentier carpentier was in his 50s at the time and you know one that's you know one of the one of my favorite stories uh that that i love when gino uh, and i talk about uh, the business dave one of my favorite stories from their book is uh mad dog vashan he's gonna run where the expos play uh i want to say leduc pulled out and so then vashan says i want to Uh, get in touch with Killer Kowalski and he's looking on the Ontario because that's where um, 
uh, killers from, and he's going to draw it. And he says on television, you think about if he said this today, how the world would go nuts. He basically says that if he can't beat him, he's going to commit suicide right there yeah. in the middle of the ring. And the place sold out. Yeah, of course. That, that, that was the nine, the 29,000 yeah. uh, attendants that I was talking about. Actually, he was supposed to face Joe LeDuc. LeDuc yes. went back to uh, the Rougeau company. So Paul Vachon told his brother, who is the biggest heel in the history of the territory? And Mad Dog's answer was Keller Kowalski. But Mad Dog was a heel as well. So he goes to his brother, he goes, well, you know, we cannot do two heels together. He said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Because you're the French speaking one, you're yeah. going to be their heel. So they won't care about Kowalski, you know, Polish guy, because at the time he was sold as a, as a, as a, as from Poland. And the next day when, when, when Vashon uh, beat uh, Kowalski, the, one of the newspapers, her title was uh, Mad Dog Vachon won uh, against Kowalski uh, against Kowalski and won't commit suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Great I headline. Mean, yeah, how crazy amazing. it was as a headline, right? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys. I wanted to have you on, especially for this. I, I love when I get to see you guys talk wrestling. And uh, thank you again for being fans, but also for giving the truth and doing all your research throughout your books. I, I've, they've been some of my top favorite books and I, and I look forward uh, to reading your next projects that you do. I know you also have done hockey books and uh, you, you guys just do great business for the, for the professional wrestling business. And I appreciate you guys so much. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is Busted Open's presentation of the Legacy of the Territories, International Wrestling Association, with your hosts, Dave LaGreca and ECW legend, Tommy Dreamer. Back here on Legacy of the Territories, IWA Montreal Territory, on this very special edition of the Busted Open Podcast. I hope everybody is liking what they hear. Make sure you subscribe to the Busted Open Podcast. Give us a five-star rating and comment because we definitely want to hear from you. And make sure you follow us on social media at Busted Open Radio. And Tommy, a really good interview with both Pat and Bertrand Hebert. Uh, the best part about this, they're very, very unbiased. I mean, they love Montreal wrestling, but man, when well, they did a lot of research and, and that's why I really enjoyed their books. And even when they're saying they uncovered stuff that they didn't even know, and they, you know, they have no affiliation with anybody, so they're not going to sway their book. They just went with facts. And then they gave us uh, as many facts as well. It's amazing 
because he was old for us. And I highly recommend the, the Mad Dog Vasham book. But, you know, when you ask, hey, who's one of the biggest draws? And it's Mad Dog Vashon. He's also owns a piece of the company. You find out that Andre the Giant owned a piece of the company as well. And the, and how famous the Rougeos were and, and just this war. And we broke it down with them. This war that went down, you know, years before the Monday Night Wars and like all the same things, like trying to blackball them out of business, you know, offering wrestlers more money to jump ship so they don't go. This all happened, you know, almost like to every territory, but it was happening in this one Providence in Montreal, you know, in Canada. Yeah. And what I love about it is Pat and Bertrand um, are historians, they're fans. And like, you know, we talked to a lot of our guests here on legacy of the territories. They were involved in the territory. So they're going to be a little bit biased when they talk about the territory that they were a part of, you know, with Pat and Bertrand, it's almost like a, a, a love, you know, almost like um, a love for not only uh, wrestling, but for Montreal and this perfect marriage between the two. And it's been forgotten over the times. And they almost feel like that's, you know, that hurts the legacy uh, of the Montreal territory. So they want to kind of shout it out so that people remember and they want people to remember because over time, you know, it's been forgotten about and it and it needs to be studied. It needs to be, you know, you know, again, entertained. I love the fact that we can now go to high spots and see some of this footage from Montreal, the books that they have written painstakingly talking about this territory. And the Mad Dog Vashon book is absolutely incredible. The Pat Patterson book, absolutely incredible. And a lot of these names need to be remembered because Listen, when you look at the WWF slash WWE, Andre the Giant, when people think of Andre, they kind of think of that 86, 87, 88, when it was the end of Andre's career, when he was a part of Montreal, exactly the opposite. Mad Dog Vashon, Tommy, when we got to see him, he was an old man at that time. It was completely different. Not the case when he was wrestling for Montreal. No, and main eventing in his 50s yes. and Andre, like early Andre, like we said before, but, you know, not the the sluggish giant. And also, you know, everyone always talks about Andre loving when he would like somebody once they spoke French. And this is his first country outside of, you know, being born on a farm in Grenoble, comes over to, to Montreal, finds a home there. Um, it, it's just it was such a great talk and discussion because again you could feel their passion uh of how much they love the wrestling industry and just even too like there were fans growing up and then one says he's now great friends with gino brito and the other one's great friends with rick martel yeah. uh, that's the beauty of this business where you meet people all along the way and they become your really really good friends you do that with the nation um so it, it's just very, very happy that these guys are getting recognized as well as the Montreal territory. And you can go and find it on YouTube uh, as always. And man, the it's like they're flushed away. A lot of the lottery tickets, a lot of that information footage has been lost because back in the day, you just recorded over it. But there's a lot of archives that I wish, you know, only last in people's minds. Uh, if somebody has camcorders <clears throat> or magazines of these lost matches. Yeah, and another name that needs to be brought up because I think his legacy has kind of been tarnished 
through time. And that's Dino Bravo. And I loved what they were saying about Dino Bravo, where like Vince McMahon didn't want to put Dino Bravo in the ring with Hulk Hogan in 1984, or I think it was a little bit later than 1984, but you know, around that time, because he was afraid that Dino Bravo, you know, especially in Montreal was more popular uh, than Hulk Hogan. Think about that. And that's like the golden era of the WWF and Hulk Hogan. And he was afraid to put Dino Bravo in the ring because he thought Dino would outshine Hulk Hogan in popularity in Montreal. As you know, when current wrestling goes to Montreal, excuse me, as current wrestling goes to Montreal, it's kind of like becomes a bizarre world because they're going to cheer Sami Zayn. They're going to cheer Kevin Owens, whether they're heels or baby faces. They try, but you know, they love them. They have pride in their athletes, but Canada for a long time during the Monday night wars, it was this almost opposite territory when you had Bret Hart feuding with, you know, and he was pro Canada. And, and, you know, again, I mentioned the Montreal screw job. It's a historic town. I also remember when they try to do the Montreal screw job again with undertaker and CM punk uh, in a main event, I was there. And it's just always just a different, different culture. Um, I mean, I think honestly, it's like they love their Montreal Canadians and they loved wrestling and it's a great wrestling town. And I'm happy that it's gotten this exposure from us and from the fans. And I highly recommend, again, I keep saying this, the guys books and the information is out there. You just have to search. It's kind of like the X-Files. We're close to Montreal files. Yeah, and, and it's one of those territories that where now I can honestly say with this show that maybe we're teaching the nation a little bit about something that they never knew before. So thank you for giving us the time. Make sure you comment. We want to hear from you. Subscribe to the Busted Open Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And, you know... Go to uh, our social media platform on Instagram, on Twitter. We want to hear from you what you feel about these shows and what other territories you want to hear about here on Legacy of the Territories. For myself and Tommy Dreamer, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Busted Open's Legacy of the Territories. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, Please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.